Redemption. Recall total of six UHF. Week this, build double-edged double. The four stubs, take it. Your see me let please hello. That's, that's how we do it, right? Sure, we'll go with that. Each week, Adam Thomas Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One has two good movies, the other two bad. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and you know what? That was me the whole time. I am a master impressionist. And I am Thomas Mariani, and oh my god, Adam's back, everybody! I never left. <laughs> Ah, uh, fuck. Well, seriously, Adam, welcome back to the show. Your sabbatical has ended. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how tonight goes. Let's <laughs> not fucking yeah, go Come crazy. back next time. Uh, Adam's on another sabbatical. Yeah. <laughs> TBD on return. Yeah, you never know. Well, yes, Adam's back uh, for this special episode where, uh, you know, if you're new, each week on Double H Double Bill, uh, we have, you know, a good... And a bad pick that we choose at the end of every episode. Someone has two good movies, someone has two bad movies. You know, and by the nature of that, we only select one good movie, one bad movie from those total of four choices. So every time, a good pick and a bad pick are sent off to the side. And, uh, you know, once a year, we do a little special thing called Redemption, which we save for, you know, maybe like anniversary episodes or like, this is episode 250. <sighs> good lord get away from five years yep we're we're uh we're we're getting close on the five-year mark yes but uh we like doing these redemption episodes just so you know go back into the archives pull out one that we haven't done before on the show and give it the spotlight chance to to be on the show and um we're always a big fan doing these redemption episodes right yeah i always like it because there's always quite a few especially in our earlier episodes i think that were like, fuck, I wish I would have got picked, you know. I mean, late, I think we've gotten a little bit better with keeping things sort of either closely related as far as our choices or so far fucking out there. But yeah, there was definitely some in the beginning or, you know, first couple years where you're like, fuck, I wish, well, maybe we'll get to cover that one day. So yeah, I like doing this. Yeah, and plus, especially whenever we do the redemptions, I always try and go for one where it's like, when is another opportunity where I could pick it? Because that's happened many times, where like an alternate pick we do end up doing like later down the line. But there's plenty of ones where it's just like, there's no other opportunity to probably cover this movie, so fuck it. Let's do it for redemption. And I would say that's it's especially the case for our good pick. The bad pick we might have covered at some other point, but the good pick is in the one where just like, yeah, there's not a lot of opportunity for that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I just, uh, I always go about it like picking one that I feel like maybe, you know, for the bad ones, maybe it wasn't that bad, or maybe I don't think it's that bad, so I just kind of want to give it a chance to get talked about. Um, give but, it a yeah. redemption, if you will. No, I, I've never heard that word before. Oh, good, okay, well... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, well, Adam, uh, for this particular episode, uh, we are going with um, the ones we chose at the end of last week's episode. 
which was uh, your bad pick, we'll be talking about first, which was the Total Recall remake from 2012, which was your alternate for cerebral sci-fi films, back when we did that. And then uh, my good pick is uh, UHF, which is our alt from our musicians-turned-actors episode. Um, and uh, I think it's fair to say um, there's not a lot of connection between those two, necessarily. Uh, except for, like, real hunky leads. Yeah, I mean, you know, because you got Weird Al Yankovic and Colin Farrell's all right, you know. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's okay. But Weird Al, though. Snap. Yeah, shit. So Especially hot. when he goes shirtless in here with his authentic chest, about as authentic yep. as Ricardo Montalban's from yep. Wrath of Khan. Perfect. Oh, hell yeah. uh, let's go ahead and uh, get into our bad pick first of the Total Recall remake. Welcome to Recall. Tell us your fantasy. We'll give you the memory. Why are you trying to kill me? Your memory was replaced. Your mind was implanted with a life you think you've lived. And you haven't even begun to see me try to kill you. So the Total Recall remake uh, came out August 3rd, 2012 from director Len Wiseman. And of course, this is uh, a remake of a movie we've actually covered on the show before previously. Uh, the original Total Recall, which was based on the Philip K. Dick short story of uh, We Remember It For You Wholesale. And uh, maybe we should refresh people on um, if we're fans of the original Total Recall. Adam, do you like the original Total Recall starring Arnold Schwarzenegger? Oh, fuck yeah. It's Verhoeven at one of his Verhovenist, I guess you could say. Uh, but no, it's, yeah, it's one of the classic Arnold's that, like, hold up. I'd argue, like, that, Terminator, Terminator 2, Predator. But then, like, you know, Red Heat and all those, like, no, not so much. And even some of the 90s ones, but Total Recall is definitely a classic. Yeah, I think I said on the Arnold Schwarzenegger episode we didn't, I think I still stand by it, but that is my favorite of the Arnold canon. Uh, no disrespect to, like, the Terminators or Predator, those are all very close uh, to Total Recall. But I feel like Total Recall is the best embodiment of, like, Arnold in terms of, like, his silliness, but also that Verhovenness that you're talking about, where it works as both, like, an actual, authentic, silly Arnold movie, but also a complete satire of those movies, and, like, yeah. the sci-fi angle of it. I think it works perfectly on either level. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree, because only in a Verhoeven-type movie could somebody who looks and sounds the way that Arnold Schwarzenegger does be some, like, secret agent spy. Right. Like, you'd see him instantly be like, what the fuck was that giant? He's like, oh, just a normal guy. Yes. Yeah, there any documents or launch codes lying around? <laughs> it's so fucking ridiculous. Well, now we're going to be talking about the remake, which I think we it's fair to say that not only is, like, despite what some people like Kurt Wimmer, one of the screenwriters, said, this is much more of, like, a remake of that Total Recall movie instead of, like, being a new adaptation of We Remember It For You Wholesale. There's a lot of, like, I would argue beat-for-beat structure-wise. This is very similar to the Verhoeven movie. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely not like a remake of the book. It reminds me of almost like, um, I know it sounds crazy, but like when the Carrie with uh, Chloe Grace Moretz came out. And, oh, maybe it'll be more like the book. It's just a beat for beat remake of this, the Sissy Spacek one. Like 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is very much that. But, I mean, they do, I'd argue the, uh, the main problem I have with this movie is that the changes that they do make feel so fucking lazy. Like, if you're going to redo the Verhoeven one, that you go with the, you got to do the weird shit too, then. You know, where's Quato, man? 
Where's the alien tech? Like, where's all that shit? Why aren't they actually on Mars? Like, that's the stuff I want. Yeah, because if you don't remember this movie, because I doubt a lot of you would remember Nobody any of the specifics does. about this Total Recall remake. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, basically, uh, this remake changes some stuff with the setting. Like, there is no Mars here. They have some cheeky references. One of many cheeky references to the original mm-hmm. movie uh, in here, um, where um, this basically takes place on an Earth that most of which has been, like, poisoned by some kind of chemical warfare in the recent past. So the only livable places are uh, Great Britain, which is, like, the company of Great Britain or whatever, just, like, it has a new name as, like, the sort of uh, oligarchical uh, kind of, like, land where everybody rules. And then Australia, which is called the Colony now. And all the poor people live on the Colony. And they travel through a giant speed train that goes to the center of the Earth to these two locations. Sure fine the rest of it is very similar where you got like douglas quaid who here is played by colin farrell um who is like an average uh you know joe as you know colin farrell perfectly fits like an average joe guy yeah. much like arnold mm-hmm. just total yep. average like everybody looks and sounds like him he is a hundred percent a blue collar construction worker in every way right he's so upset about just like oh my guy live my daily life and uh, nothing great happens to me i look like colin farrell and kate beckinsale's my wife i'm in such a rut <laughs> Yeah, and I keep having sexy dreams about Jessica Biel. What a terrible life I have. What a bad life. Yes, yes. Um, But I'm curious, Adam, you picked this as a bad pick, and would you say this is a case of, like, one that you feel gets a bit of a, a bad shake? Yes and no. Like I said, I think that the fact that they do go beat for beat, except for the deviations they do make, are really dumb, and it suffers for it. But... I can also see if they didn't go beat for beat and it's weird. Like if they didn't go beat for beat, but kept the changes they made and just sort of try to form a new narrative around those changes. Like even the tube through the center of the earth and another movie that could be kind of fun. The robot army could be kind of fun. Brian Cranston going off against going against Bill Nye could be fun. Jessica Biel, Kate Beckinsale, Colin Farrell, all fucking sexy people. Well, Keem Woodbine's real fun in it. John Cho is fun in it. I think there's a really cool kind of fun sci-fi action movie in here. Uh, I just think, unfortunately, that it's half of a fucking Paul Verhoeven Total Recall remake is what really hurts it a lot. Yeah, um, I had not actually seen this before we decided to do this for the show. Um, and, it, you know, it kind of got in the bad rap around the time it came out. It wasn't very successful, and everyone was kind of dogging, obviously, on like, oh my god, why are you remaking Total Recall? Like, this was, I would argue, at the height of them actually doing, like, these remakes of, like, the classic, like, 80s, 90s mm. movies, um, as opposed to now that we do, like, a legacy sequel where Arnold is just like, it's true, all of it, Quatu, <laughs> Mars, everything, it's real. Um, so they weren't quite doing that yet, and instead we kind of got these sort of, like, less remakes, and I'll say this much, like, I don't think it's, like, god-awful necessarily, but um, I think the trouble is that, like, whatever sort of changes are there feel very much minuscule and they really don't find their own identity. That's that interesting to me from like, you know, they're taking the bones from the original movie. Fine. Sure. You can make something different out of those bones in theory, but whatever different stuff that you have, it's like the sort of early 2010s, like sci-fi aesthetic that just feels kind of dull to me. Like this movie looks so gray and uninteresting to me throughout so much of it. I think that's the bigger problem than anything. It's like the Verhoeven movie is so like lively and colorful and 
over the top bizarre. So their tact to like go against that is to make everything look like fucking concrete. And I think it's just kind of like, it's a dull, unengaging movie on every level from like just the look of it alone. And then a few interesting things kind of pop up here and there, but it's not nearly enough to get me like that interested in like, Oh, this was at least a different take on the source material. It's like not quite, but it's not unwatchable necessarily to me. I mean, I, I guess I don't disagree with that. Like I said, I, I don't know that there's a sort of great movie hidden in here. I, I don't think that at all. But I think there could be a fun Len Wiseman movie, like something, you know, Underworlds are fun and stuff like that. Like he, he can make a pretty cool, slick action movie. And there are some really good action scenes in this and stuff like that. But I do agree with you. The sort of grayness of the whole thing, of the concrete, it's usually the gray or the stark, like pristine white. And uh, it just, it's really bland. And I mean, everybody's wardrobe even is just shades of gray. It's just really boring to look at. I, I mean, it's shot very well. I think the cinematography is pretty good. I, I Like I said, the action scenes and choreography, I really like uh, for the most part. I just, yeah, it's just, everything's depressing. It's always raining or they're in like clouds of gas or just, ugh. Uh, now, did you watch the, the director's cut or did you watch the normal? Um, I will say I watched the director's cut because um, yeah, I was I had heard at least that, that was at least a bit better than the theatrical cut that everybody really disliked. Um, uh, and the only main real difference is the cameo, I think. I mean, well, yeah, th- there's that big element of it. Uh, we, we might as well say here. So the big sort of difference uh, from the original cut is that um, in the original theatrical cut, you just had like a shot of like Colin Farrell in a with a goatee. As like the older version of uh, Quaid, who was like the Hauser, Carl Hauser yeah, character. His, yeah, before he got his memory wiped or whatever. Right, right, right. And in the director's cut, it's actually Ethan Hawke. And he has like completely uh, done facial surgery and everything to make himself look different. Which I guess would make more sense because there's that point where like they see Colin Farrell and they're like, we don't recognize this guy at all. And I'm like, yeah. in the theatrical cut, it's just like he shaved his goatee and you're like, what? Yeah. No. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, and I like the Ethan Hawke bit. I think it's kind of cool. You know, that's the thing about this movie. It, I know it's not even the close to the same, but it reminds me of the same vein as, like, The Island. The one with um, Hugh McGregor, Scarlett Johansson. Right. All the, where it's just... I get the, the fun I get out of this movie is it's really good-looking people doing cool action bits. And that's Sometimes that's all I need. To be honest, I mean, I don't always need this great style and substance. Uh, so, I mean, I, in a way, like, I don't wrong, I don't watch this a lot. This is probably the third time I've seen it because uh, I saw it at the theater and then I saw it you know, a couple years later and then I watched it again to, for the show. I and, think that uh, makes I, you the person who's watched this the most technically by having watched it three times. I think Lynn Wiseman only saw it like one and a half times during production. <laughs> uh, well, he probably saw it twice at least, the theatrical and his own cut. So, Maybe. but so I got I got one up on him. Um, <laughs> I still don't have a bad time with this while I watch it. I will say that where they go to see Bill Nye and that whole shit that it drags really, really long. Like it feels like a slog, and it's only about ten minutes worth of film time, but it feels like a good half hour. There are a few, there are a couple scenes that drag on forever. Like I think the big one for me is the one where Bukim Woodbine tries to convince Colin Farrell that he's actually in a dream or whatever. That is like the longest scene 
in film history. But it's just like, come on, you've got to kill her. I don't know. Do I want to kill her? I don't know. What am I going to do? I don't know. Oh, my God. What do we do? <laughs> yeah, like, I agree. Because in, in the Verhoeven version, it was the one guy uh, who's telling him, like, you're, in fact, Mr. Quaid, you've had an embolism and blah, blah, blah. And it's really quick because he sees him sweating and then kills him. Right. And plus, it makes and, more sense for him to do it there as opposed to, like, would you, they try and flip it where it's like, oh, Jessica Biel has a tear this time instead of him sweating. Right? That's different. It's like, what would, how would that prove to him that that's not part of his fantasy or whatever? Like, I she mean, doesn't want to get shot so she'll cry. Like, that doesn't yeah, prove anything. That doesn't make, that makes any no sense. sense. Yeah, it makes no sense <laughs> at all. Because, I mean, oh my God, Bokeem went by it. His lips look a little wet. Shoot. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, oh man. Oh gosh. Like, it makes, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Uh, but I do like the idea of it. I liked it better than the Groven one. Uh, it does carry on a little too long. But how do you feel about most of the action set pieces here? I'll say this much. I think uh, there's a couple of fun action sequences. I think uh, the uh, one thing with the um, the hover sort of cars going down the freeway mm-hmm. and stuff, I think it's kind of fun, even though it's very clearly just like, this is us doing a budget version of like the Minority Report like fucking yeah. floating car sequence there's that and then also the zero g sequence i think is pretty fun um that one feels yep, i like that least, one right that one feels a bit more interesting all the other stuff it feels um rather like serviceable like not terrible to me necessarily in terms of like stuff like him and kate beckinsale like chasing each other along the uh like the rooftops and stuff is okay mm-hmm. if anything the worst stuff is the hand-to-hand combat like brian cranston his fight is like oh god so garbagely edited. oh it's, it's so, so bad it's so <laughs> yeah. bad it, it reminds you of like sean connery and your extraordinary gentleman or robert de niro and the irishman where it's like they have no coordination like they are not set up for that type of stuff and i also didn't mind the scene where like he's in recall and he first and he kills all the like swat guys or whatever I mean, you've seen it a thousand times, but I thought it was shot pretty cool, and I liked sort of the tech they use with the bullet that shoots out, like, all the different cameras so that they can map the room and all that. Like, I think there's some cool ideas there. Man, if anything, I wish there was more of sort of, like, there's a bit, I don't know if it's during that fight or the later fight that Colin Farrell has with one of the robot guys, where, like, he is doing kung fu, but he doesn't even, like, realize it, where it's, like, just, like, it automatically kicks in for him. Like, I think that's, like... More of the fun I kind of wished we had in this movie, where it's like kind of dumb, but it's like in an interesting way. I think just another big problem for me with this movie is like we reference this with Arnold, right? That like, oh, why would he be like everyone would be able to see him? He's clearly a super spy or whatever. Like the whole like incentive to do a remake is kind of similar to what you said about like when you reference the Carrie remake. Is like with Carrie, that was the thing of like, oh, you know, we're gonna go from Sissy Spacek in the original to like somebody who maybe fits more of like the description that Stephen King had, which is like she was a bit of a chubby girl in the book, and they go with like a Chloe Grace Moretz, and she's like, like hey. yeah, little angel faced Chloe Grace Moretz. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's just like, guys, I don't know what we're, we're going. You missed the entire point. It's the same thing with, like, Colin Farrell, where, like, the moment you see that dude, just like, well, he's immediately much more suave and debonair than anybody yeah. else on this yeah. planet. And, like, you would figure... Yeah, you're like, oh, right. fuck, it's James Bond. Right, 100%. Why not cast somebody who's a bit more of, like, either a schlub or untraditional, like, around this time, Philip Seymour Hoffman was still alive? That would have been interesting. Just, like, somebody who feels very odd and wouldn't be, like, a typical, like, super spy in disguise. Yeah, I can agree with that. That's that you know reminds me of like the original cast ideas for even like a Blade Runner or for the original Terminator, where 
Lance Henriksen, and then Blade Runner, Dustin Hoffman, like the kind of unassuming tough guys. Uh, you know, that's I love that shtick. I, I, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like when you go back to the original, like when they were doing the production on the original Total Recall, and they had originally like William Hurt was going to be one of the choices uh, for like David Cronenberg's version, or even like Richard Dreyfus was also a choice during an early stage that they were going for. Oh God, that was terrible. <laughs> now get your ass to Mars, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but at least that would have fit like that version that we're talking about as opposed to like suave Colin Farrell doesn't necessarily yeah, fit that I agree. you know what it worked roll flip Cranston and Farrell um I think the trouble is that like Cohagen needs to be somebody older so I don't think Cranston eh, why he's eh, well I think because the whole like he's a guy who's like established as like the leader of this place for so long I think you had somebody like younger than who like uh, Quaid is I don't think that quite works all right, man. Whatever. Didn't go right yet. <laughs> Let's do another remake of Total Recall. I'm sure they're running this slide of ideas. Let's do another one. Oh, I'm sure it's going to happen. Are you kidding Probably. me? If it's, if it's not in fucking, like, development stages right now, I'd be very surprised. Probably. Uh, but, you know, another big thing is with that casting is just... I, I love that now Colin Farrell, after Banshees and stuff like that, they're allowing him to be, like, Irish... I miss mm-hmm. him being, like, actually being able to be Irish, because when he was, like, tapping it down with, like, an American accent, like, here, it, it just saps so much of, like, his natural charm. I agree. The only movie that I'd argue it really worked for me was Minority Report. Right. Because he was just such kind of an uppity prick, and it really fit. When it's, like, a supporting role, like him and that, or, like, him and Horrible Bosses, like, stuff like that, where it's, like, he's not the lead. Well, <laughs> There you go. Oh, you know what? And I hate to keep doing this, but you know who would actually been really fun in this era? Jason Bateman. See, yeah, that would be really interesting because that's like a totally unexpected choice. And fits yeah, more yeah, like, totally oh, I'm a loser. Guy. How yeah. could I get with Kate Beckinsale? And it's like, oh, it's Jason Bateman doing Kung Fu. That's fun. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> there you go. We're going to sure. write it. We're going to write it. I'm going, I, I'm going on hiatus again. <laughs> oh, no. Um... <laughs> It's not a great use of Farrell. Um, I would say, like, because you mentioned, like, oh, pretty people doing pretty stuff. I think Beckinsale is my favorite of the sort of cast. I think she's having fun. Especially when she gets to do her natural accent. Goes into full, like, underworld mode. I think that's pretty fun. Uh, versus, I'm sure Jessica Biel's a very nice person. But I've never been a fan of her as an actress, like, at all. And I think this is a clear example to me. She's gotten better now. That, like, one show she did on Hulu, she was really good in it. Uh, but yeah, she's, uh, never been great. Also amongst this cast, like, you got, like, no, Bill Nye's here and is completely wasted. Uh, I mean, John Cho's having fun, also completely wasted. Yeah. Um, and Cranston, this is part of the thing with me and Cranston, where, like, his sort of film career after Breaking Bad started has been so disappointing. Because he's Terrible. such a genuinely good actor, and he just picks the worst projects. I mean, can you honestly think of one that's been like, oh, that was real solid? I mean, the one that was a big movie. I know he's done a couple, like, indie ones and stuff like that that I honestly haven't seen. But out of the bigger ones, like, he was completely wasted in Godzilla. This, completely wasted. Why Him is a terrible shit show. That one, um, with, Kevin, that one with Kevin Hart, where he's the right. paraplegic, it was just I, so sappy. I mean, I really liked him in, uh, around the same time, he was uh, the big CIA director in Argo. I think he's, like, one of the better ones in that supporting cast. Oh, yeah. I always forget about that movie. Yeah, he's solid. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not an incredibly memorable movie, but he's very fun in it. Um, and even, like, I would say, even in some of these smaller things, I were, I, don't, I agree they don't utilize him that well. Like, he's amazing in Godzilla when he's there. And even, um, he's weirdly very dialed in in Power Rangers, the reboot, as Zordon. Oh, yeah! <laughs> he's really into it, man. He really is. <laughs> yeah. He knew his roots, because, like, look, that's how he got his start, was doing voiceover for the American I version of Power Rangers. And now he's just like, I'm paying back my <laughs> respect to my youth. It's like, okay. Fuck yeah. Way to go. <laughs> but yeah, in general, it's such a bummer that like that dude is such a talented actor and has largely been wasted on screen. I know, it's nuts. You know, there was a, there was that talk forever that, oh, he's going to be Lex Luthor, he's going to be Lex Luthor. I mean, I'm glad that didn't happen in a way, but also I would have kind of been down for it because it might have led him to get more work and maybe bigger things and, and maybe have a little bit more clout to pick and choose or have more options given to him. But it's just, yeah, it's it's really crazy because he's always been good. He's he's a good comedic actor. He's a good dramatic actor. Good, he can kind of run the whole gamut. It's just he hasn't really gotten much, man. Well, actually, I'm I'm sorry, Adam. He was nominated for an Oscar for Trumbo, where he was in a bathtub. So that's a great performance, clearly. Well, there, well, I forgot about that. The bathtub performance. That's that old Oscar caveat. Right, I mean, an amazing performance everyone remembers and loves from Trumbo. Everyone's favorite movie, Trumbo. Yeah, I even remember the name of it, that you're saying it right now. I totally remember it. <laughs> Everyone's got Trumbo fever still, like, seven yep. years later. Yeah, woohoo! And, and even, like, to, with in terms of the stuff, like, you mentioned Len Wiseman, of course. This was weirdly the movie that put him in director jail for a while, because he hasn't made a movie since this until he's going to be doing, like, that... John Wick spinoff about the ballerinas starring Anna Darmus. He's coming back to that, direct that's his for that. first movie since this. Yes. Like he has not directed a movie since this movie. This was such um, a flop then, huh? Is that why? Because it was such a flop? I, I guess. I'm not sure. Cause I mean, I would still say like there are worse movies made by even lesser directors that are like oh, remakes from around this time that absolutely. like have gone on to still work after this point. And I think Weissman's like, as you mentioned, like he did the underworld movies, the, first and the second one and live free or die hard like i don't think any of those are great movies but i think they're no. like decently entertaining yeah i agree i agree that's very strange like he's done like some tv stuff i know like he's worked on like hawaii 5 and that sleepy hollow show he's directed oh, like God. pilots basically for a bunch of tv shows that have come out in between those points uh, so he's he making just... good money then He's making good money. If he directed I'm, I'm, the pilots, I'm, yeah, he's, he's, getting, yeah, I'm he's sure, doing all right. Right, and he gets, like, executive producer credits because he directed the pilots yeah. and all that other stuff. I, he's not, like, hurting for money, but it is just weird that he hasn't directed a film in that time. Um, and I think, like, this one, like I said, it looks kind of dull and gray, and, like, even some, whatever interesting visual flourishes are clearly stolen from other things. Like, the look of like, that city, which is, like, very sort of, like, Japanese-inspired. It's just like, okay, we're seeing from another Philip K. Dick. Novel, yeah, like no, it's, it's Blade Runner very much. Right. Yeah, no, it's very much right. Blade Runner. Right, yeah. right, right. And, but uh, it's not incompetent, necessarily. Like, apparently they didn't have a walkie-talkie budget, huh? Everyone <laughs> just had their hands for cell phones, like they're pretending. I mean, that's true. They spend all their money on uh, the lens flares that are throughout the film. There's quite a bit of those. Like, G.J. Abrams called him once his lens flares back. Yep. And you know, there, there's one thing about this movie, too, that I noticed while watching it, and I know it sounds crazy, but another remake of a Verhoeven movie, there's a lot similar, even in the Robocop remake, that is similar to this remake, with the look of sort of the androids, the way the gunplay is, everything. It, it's very bizarre. I mean, I mean, I think that's just more a case of, like, it's, it feels like the house style, quote-unquote, of, like, your average remake from around this time, where it's like, we gotta make it grittier, 
We gotta make it grayer. We gotta like have certain updates, but at the same time, kind of copy certain things from the original half and half. And I think that is the trouble. Is we're like, I guess I agree with you. Like, if they didn't do as many like overt references to the original movie, people might not be as harsh on it. But when you do shit like the two weeks gag in this movie, where they have the yeah. one lady who's like looks very similar to the lady that Arnold disguises in the original, who says yeah. two weeks, and it's like, oh no, he's not that lady. Someone else, like. On an objective level, if you're watching this and you haven't seen the original movie, you're like, why did we focus on that lady for, like, a whole shot? Or the, th- or the, three, you... the three-breasted lady right. of the night. You'd be like, wow, this sales way out of place. Right. It's, it's kind of like, it's a criticism, unfortunately, the film invites upon itself. Yeah, I agree. But you still, like, I guess, why don't you talk a bit more about, like, what do you really like about it as opposed to, like, or I guess at least tolerate more about it than, like, the average person. I think there's some good bones here. I think there is potential for there to be kind of a fun sci-fi action movie here. I, I really do. And I know, obviously, looking at the potential of something in the finished product doesn't make it necessarily a good thing. But it's just... I think the action's pretty fun. I think the cinematography is pretty fun. I do like most of the cast. Miscast or not, I do like most of the cast. Uh, it's just compared to the sort of remake boom that was happening from like the early aughts till like 2016 or so, it's, it's not easily not the worst one. It's not even the worst sci-fi action movie to come out, but that's not saying much. Almost every sci-fi action movie that comes out is pretty bad. Um, unfortunately, but I think it's, I think it's entertaining enough. I think it's entertaining. I don't think it's, terrible i i think if <sighs> those couple things we just mentioned the couple winks and stuff that are so obvious unfortunately i think that sort of kept it from gaining a new audience from people who hadn't seen the original and were like what the fuck does that even mean that potentially went back and watched the original and then of course that's going to depreciate it in value potentially i think still I'm a huge fan of the original. I don't mind those little winks here and there. There is a little too much of it, but I still think it's, it's, I think this movie is perfectly fine. Yeah. I don't have necessarily strong feelings on it. I would say that like, it's, it's definitely one of the more like easily forgettable ones, which is better than like it's stewing. and As as you're sitting there pouring gasoline on yourself right now (laughs) (laughs) in the shower. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm doing great, Adam. It's totally great. I know all there is to know about the crying game. <laughs> um, but but no, like really, the just the my only real reaction out of this was just like I don't know if I'm gonna like remember this because like we had a bit of a delay in recording this episode, and I'm like I don't know how much more I'm gonna remember. Quite frankly, about this movie, we delayed this any further. We delayed by 24 hours. Yes, I would have completely <laughs> forgotten it. <laughs> Honestly. Because <laughs> it's like, because why do we mention like you were talking about how oh there's like the basic bones of a good movie here and it's like yeah the trouble is like those basic bones it's not like when we talk about other bad movies and it's like oh this is one that like if you remade it into a better movie it could work it's like no the basic bones of this are from a great movie so it's just like that I think that makes it a bit less like oh it's kind of fine to me as opposed to like kind of frustrating where it's just like oh like the bones that are here come from another creature that exists and instead of building a completely different creature off of it you have like some a few different pieces of skin flap that don't look as interesting so 
I don't know how. Like, it, 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 I think it, it bothers me a bit more, but at the same time, the content that's there also doesn't infuriate me enough to make me feel really anything either way about it. Like, I don't really, like, say, think it's, like, that underrated a gem, or I don't even think it's, like, that enraging, like, how can you sully this remake? It just feels, it's, it's a thing that, I guess, exists, and I will completely have forgotten about it by the time I'm done editing this episode. <laughs> well, those sound like pretty good final thoughts. Yeah, I'd say so. Adam, what about you? Do you have any other final thoughts about this movie as its lone champion? I agree. I'm just going to say it in a different tone. It exists. All right. Well, on that note, let's switch over to a movie that does exist, but only really loudly for a small niche that really, truly love it. Uh, We're going to be talking about UHF. Channel 62 has the lowest ratings in the history of television. What they need is a new station manager. No, not him. Forget it. No way. A man of action. (laughs) What they get is a man so desperate, he'll put anyone on the air. Hey, Stanley. Yeah, George? How would you like your own TV show? Okay. He's Conan, the librarian. Today, we're teaching poodles how to fly. We beat up the networks. George Newman, he starts where the others stop. We're the number one station in town. Ah! Orion Pictures presents Weird Al Yankovic in UHF, the movie. So uh, UHF uh, came out July 21st, 1989 uh, from director Jay Levy, his only film because uh, he's actually not much of a director because uh, he is mostly known as Weird Al's agent who co-wrote the script with Weird Al Yankovic, who of course is like the big auteur of sorts here because uh, this is his vehicle, his attempt at like a big comedy blockbuster from around this time in an era that could have only really happened because of like say a Pee Wee Herman and Pee-wee's Big Adventure, where, like, there was a lot of movies post-Pee-wee's Big Adventure, just like, let's do a comedy character vehicle, and uh, it feels like this is in a similar vein. Oh, yeah, definitely. Let's just get a crazy comedian and put him in movies. I mean, there's the fucking Carrot Top movie, there's fucking Yahoo Serious was a thing for a little while. Oh, definitely. They... I believe the Yahoo Serious movie came out, like, around the exact same time. as you It did. Chef, if I'm yeah, right. no, yeah. it definitely did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Which I think kind of hurt that this movie in comparison. And in terms of, like, everyone was like, oh, they're of a similar vein. And from what I understand, this is a much better movie than the Yahoo series movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, but let's talk about Weird Al for a bit, because obviously he's known, you know, as a parody musician. Got his big start uh, with, like, Eat It in the 80s. And has progressed forward to, like, from then until around, like, whatever his last album was, like, Mandatory Fun, and that was, like, in the mid-2010s. Like, he was making, like, consistently, like, really fun sort of pop song parodies. And I'm curious, where did your love for Weird Al start? UHF. Okay. You no, know, the videos back in the day on MTV and stuff like that, for sure. But, um, yeah, UHF was, like, it for me. I, I, I watched this movie, I, I honestly can't tell you how many times, to the point to where, we made our, our mother buy it on VH on VHS, which at the time, I mean, it was probably a little bit pricey. But, uh, oh, yeah, we watched this over and over and over and over again. That's why even there's times where, like, 
because I, I do like the show Seinfeld, you know, as problematic as Michael Richards is, and he's very, he's very problematic. Oh, well, uh, did he do something? I'm not aware. Did he do something really terrible about 15 years ago? No, he, Seinfeld ended, and then he just disappeared. I mean, he made all that syndication money. I'm sure he doesn't need to work again or do anything stupid and awful and racist and embarrassing in front of a bunch of people on a stand-up comedy show. Yeah, right. That'd right. be terrible for him. But to the yeah. point to where even when Seinfeld's on, I remember watching it like when it was originally out and going, that's Stanley. Like that's how much this movie was ingrained into me. I absolutely love this movie. Like even in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I'm like, that's the mean guy from UHF. Like it's just, <laughs> I absolutely just loved this movie. I loved all the, you know, this is one of the, probably one of the first parody movies I can think of that I've seen where they have all like the Conan, the librarian and all that stuff. And Gandhi where just, 2 and stuff like Gandhi that. Gandhi yeah. 2, yeah, the Rambo bit at the end, yes. near the end. Like, it just, it kind of blew my mind. I, this was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. It feels very much like a gateway drug to like a Zucker, Abram Zucker style kind of comedy. Oh, definitely. Which fits given yeah. like Weird Al was in all the Naked Gun movies. So they have a very similar kind of like comedic sensibility. Yeah, 100%. And I just... I this is one of those. I mean, I recently watched. I want to say I watched it right after Weird came out, uh, because my daughter actually watched like most of Weird with us, which was weird. Ah, well, but then uh, I was like, "Oh, you got to watch this and put this on," and she liked it for the most part. But I think it was like sensory overload after a while. She's like, "I don't. What is going on?" Like, I don't. I can't really explain it to you, <laughs> like because it's just it's kind of you got to sit down and go for the ride. Yeah, I mean, my journey with Weird Al started a bit later. Obviously, there's an age difference with us. Yes, I'm 10 years younger. Right, that's true. Because you were born in 2002. Just turned right, right 21, baby. <laughs> um, I actually started off with Weird Al. Like, I remember very vividly being exposed to The Saga Begins. The Obviously, because I was such a big like Star Wars kid. And I was like all in the hype of Episode 1 coming out. And then that music video hit, and I'm like... I knew what American Pie was. I'd heard that my parents had played that. And then this came up, I'm just like, I, I can't believe someone cracked the code on comedy. This is amazing. <laughs> Who could have ever imagined that this could be possible? Weird Al cracked the code. <laughs> That's awesome. It took him 17 years, but he did it. But yeah, that, I remember, was like the big start for me, where it's just like, oh my god, this guy's amazing, I need to like listen to more of his stuff. And he was definitely one of those guys where like I listened to so many different Weird Al songs in the wake of that, which were parodies of songs I had never heard of, like the fucking um, Crash Test Dummies song, where I'm just like, this is a funny song, I have no idea, this must be an original, I have no idea what this is parodying, because <laughs> he always strove for like his songs to be funny on their own, instead of just being like, you recognize this kind of thing with his parodies, and I think that's even the case where like, when I finally watched UHF, I was completely unaware of like what a UHF station was. And, like, some of, like, the more specific references they do in this movie. But it's still so funny and zany on its own that, like, it doesn't matter if I get all these jokes. No, because they're still just dumb fun. Like, right. it, it's just it's just stupid fun. You know, they, like you said, even not even owned a UHS station, but they got, like, the Geraldo ripoff show that he does. And then you right. got the, the one guy with the, his animal show where he's just killing the animals, basically. The Wheel of Fish. Like, what right. is going on? These horrible, cheap-ass game shows, and talk shows, and cooking shows, and it's just, it's such a different time. Like, think, you know, for people who might not have seen this or are a little bit too young for that sort of era of television, like, it's like early PBS. 
you know, where you'd have like Bob Ross and stuff like that on, but then you just have like this bizarre German woman yelling at you cooking. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, or like just, you would you would change to certain frequencies. That's what it's like yeah. ultimate high frequency. Yeah. And it's basically like if you change to a certain station that's like super cheap, it's like, oh, here's like a bunch of like old westerns or old sci-fi movies, and you'd have like a weird horror host that wasn't like Elvira or one of the more famous ones. Right. Just somebody or who you had no fucking idea about. A fat dude teaching self defense. Right. Like, what? What? <laughs> oh yeah. We I used to you know, not all the time, but we used to check out some UHF stations every once in a while. And it was just always sort of like mind blowing. There was always a knife show, always a show about collecting knives and being a, like a survivalist huntsman. It's just, it's, they don't exist anymore. That's, that's the other thing too. Like you said, this movie's just kind of a time capsule movie. Yeah. Like everything that's referenced in this movie it doesn't matter anymore. You know, television ratings for the most part, nobody gives a shit. And or like the, the, the villain is like the guy who runs the local affiliate in a town, which I think just right. adds to the comedy. Really, just like our evil business tycoon is like the guy who would run like your local news station. <laughs> exactly, and he, he's super popular. Like he probably has a car dealership or something that he's attached to as well. It's such a bygone era, you know. And as much as I love this movie, there I do there are flaws with it. I mean, of course. I don't. I can never remember the actor's name, but I'm not too plus on the guy who plays his friend, uh, David Bow. Yeah, I, I think he's fine, but it's one of those tropes that kind of never really works for me. Where you get like this zany lead, and then you try to find someone who can maybe play zany with them, and it never feels genuine. And I'd argue that's sort of the case with him in this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the most impressive thing that he does is when he catches the grapes. While they're yeah. like just brainstorm, which is amazing. He could apparently do that. It's like, wow, that's incredible. You can do that. But there's not a lot else there necessarily. No, and I don't care at all about the Victoria Jackson relationship. Not one bit. What? You weren't invested in that great love affair for the modern <sighs> silver screen? No, no, I wasn't. You know who I do love, though? The main bad guy's son. Happy birthday, Dad. <laughs> He's so funny. Right, and you know who that is. Oh shit! Um, fuck, who is it? It's it's John Paragon who played Jombie the Genie on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. And then also my other favorite stupid joke in this movie: take that ridiculous thing off. <laughs> Next time you come into my office, takes off the fake mustache. <laughs> it keeps on the big on that cowboy hat. Awful cowboy hat. <laughs> like it's just why is that joke in this movie? It makes it, like it just doesn't fit because none of it. There's not really a lot of that type of stupid one-liners like that. Well, no, I mean, I would argue that fits with, like, sort of the Zucker style that we were talking about. That feels like a very Zucker gag that would be in, like, in an airplane or something like that. This isn't the case of, like, a Zucker, like, one of the great Zucker movies where, like, you're watching and, like, every single, like, shot has a joke and you're, like, in stitches over them. It's not necessarily that, but there are, like, just so many at least weird, interesting things going on that I'm, like... Well, I'm not, like, laughing out loud at it, but I'm just charmed that someone gave Weird Al $5 million to do this scene and this other scene and all these weird things that are happening. I think that's the thing where, like, Weird Al, obviously, not necessarily the most engaging screen presence ever, but he is such a weird, unique comedy personality that when he does stuff, like when he's talking to Victoria Jackson early on, and she's like, oh, did you get fired? It's like, I'm sorry, I'm so stupid. And he's <laughs> on the counter, then he's just like, and immediately breaks from that and just says, so what's for dinner? And then yep. he keeps going about his day. And what a shame Michael Richards turned into a horrible racist fuck. Because he's very funny and charming and 
in this movie. Like you yes. love to watch him on screen. You know, you get to drink from the firehouse. Like, I mean, so stuff like that. Or even like when we're introduced to him, and there's a weird pathos to him and his love of his mop. Where he's just that like, I love this mop. mop. I've loved it ever since. But like, he's so invested in it that you're like, I kind of want this guy to get his mop back. Oh, you absolutely do. And then, and then when he does, you feel so you're like, yay! He got it back, and he just like owns and kicks ass with it. It taps into like a very big thing with like what I love about something like the Muppets, where it's like it's a group of misfits coming together completely like without any kind of like actual cohesion to them whatsoever and and by the end of this movie they are literally trying to put on a show to save their fucking like theater in this case the uhf station like the stakes in theory are so low on a grand scale so you're saving something that in about five years is going to be completely obsolete no one's going to care but you get invested in just like, well, I want all these weirdos to like do their thing. I want Billy Barty to keep using that camera and Friend Drescher to keep doing her news reports. I want all this to happen because like they're weirdly investing despite the fact that they're silly characters. Yeah, 100%. You absolutely care that they're going to, you know, oh, they're going to save the day and now everybody owns the station in the town and, you know, oh, it's so good. And wait, Philo's an alien? What? <laughs> <laughs> just, it's ridiculous. But that's the thing, though. There's such like a heart to the whole thing. It's really kind of a sweet, good-hearted film to where you kind of feel good watching it and you're happy for them. And it doesn't come across like sort of mean-spirited or malicious at all. I mean, I guess I know why this movie didn't do so well. It's a very niche sort of audience. I think I was at the exact right age for this movie, you know, when it came out, for sure. I mean, it came out, what, 89, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was like six, maybe seven. And amount of entertainment that existed back then, especially like feature length movies that weren't animated for children, they were worth a damn, were very, very slim. So it's like this movie just. I mean, I think the bigger problem is that, like, in the case of this movie, it came out during a point where, like, in a less crowded marketplace, it would appeal to a lot of people that were your age at that time. But the problem is they were too busy this summer seeing Batman. And Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and even like some of the adulter movies like Lethal Weapon 2 and stuff like that. This was a insanely, infamously packed summer blockbuster season, and poor UHF was never gonna make it out of that alive and successful. Like fuck, all those kids like who your age were like too busy seeing Ghostbusters 2 for like the third time or whatever to see this shit. Well, whatever, man. They missed out. But this kind of became like a cable staple for a little while, too. I remember this playing on television a lot. Oh, yeah, and even it was definitely a very much a, like, pass it around as, like, a VHS and eventually... Oh, for sure. Oh, definitely, for sure. It played on Comedy Central quite a bit, you know, late-night Comedy Central. That's probably when I first saw it was on, like, the Comedy Central, yeah. I would imagine so. But, yeah, it's... This is one of those movies to where if, for most people, in fact, I mean, at least anybody I've come across... If they've seen it and they know it, they love it. I don't know. I don't think I've ever really had a conversation with somebody. But, of course, you know the type of people you're going to talk to about UHF. You're not going to go to some stuffed shirt guy and be like, you've seen UHF? You like it? <laughs> go to a guy in a monocle just like, my word, yes. Have you seen the latest Weird Al picture? Excuse me, Father Callahan? Have you, uh, <laughs> have you seen UHF? You say this um, in the confession booth just like my son. Right. <laughs> All right, say five Hail Marys. And And slap yourself with a spatula three times. Exactly, you flog yourself. Like I said, it's one of those that kind of like, 
if you're in the know about it, if you've seen it, there's just it's endearing. It's just an ultimately endearing film. It's it's dumb. Like this movie is dumb. It's pure dumb fun. And like that's all you need from it. That's all you want from it. And it's this is absolutely a turn it on, shut your brain off for 80 minutes or however long it is and just sort of go for it. And I, I just I kind of love it for that. And it's sort of why it's stuck around so much and why it's almost it's not exactly but almost an annual rewatch for me. I watch this movie almost every year. I would say that like I'm not necessarily as in love with it necessarily. I think there's there's some stuff where like I agree with you that it's like say not a malicious movie at all. But there's still just certain things that like clearly show it's like, oh, this was in a movie of a different era with like say Getty Watanabe's character, which I mean mm-hmm. this was not this was not exclusive to Getty Watanabe in this movie. He after uh Sixteen Candles he got a lot of roles like this where he was playing just like a sort of Asian stereotype to some extent. Up until fairly recently, too, unfortunately. Right. And I guess the only exception around this time would be like Vamp, where he's just <laughs> playing a guy as opposed to that. Um, but at the same time, he is very committed to that part, and he has like very funny line deliveries like the You're So Stupid is an incredible yeah. delivery of once again a very stupid line. Well, same with Raul and the, the Animal Show. I mean, he's got the stupid Badgers line and everything but it, it's still it works like i knew that line before i even knew about the the actual line it was taken from right you know and it's just <laughs> the turtle <laughs> nature such a cup look how they stick you see that <laughs> like it's so stupid or, or, or with the ants which just like they really hate it when you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. and there's just a pile of dead dogs outside of his apartment window <laughs> like, like it's fucking insane but yeah of course and like you said there is some dated stuff or even like the gandhi 2 parody where you have like say jay levy playing that particular role which wouldn't be fly at all necessarily no that's true unfortunately those things you can't go back and fix them now you know i i I guarantee you if you could where i'll be one of the first people to try to go back and change that stuff because he usually works very clean that's the thing about like most of his work in general is he's never been like like, that's why like when i remember this is also firmly dating in a different era when any parody song would be on limewire they would always cite it as weird al even though it'd be some incredibly raunchy awful like uh you know sex song or something like that it's like that's not weird al style that's not it or it was like Richard Cheese or the Dan Band. And they'd be like, yep, that's Weird Al. I'm like, no, it's not. Well, Weird Al's just not going to sing the same song, but put the F word and the word titties in it or something like that. Like, he's a little smarter than that. If he, look, if he's going to do a parody of, say, Money for Nothing, he's going to put the Beverly Hillbillies in it. That's really smart intellectual stuff right there. It actually really is. <laughs> it's That's the one thing you say about it. His parodies, while dumb, are really smartly constructed. They're very inspired. If nothing else, because right. to, to the degree that, like, what's so funny about that particular parody is, like, he always asked for permission, and he asked, like, Mark Knopfler and everybody about, like, permission, and they were so, like, reverent to him, they were like, we'll only do it if we get to play, like, guitar on your fucking track, <laughs> which is actually, <laughs> it's Mark Knopfler actually doing the Dire Straits, like... Which is crazy. Uh, and let's not forget, though, he wrote Eat It First. Right, as we learned in the Weird Al story. Right, which there's a lot of things I didn't know about him. Right, especially that he died before this movie yeah. was, was released. Single-handedly took down Pablo Escobar, and he, had his, he was a horrible drunk. I didn't know any of that. And he released several posthumous albums, evidently. Yeah, yeah dated Madonna. Right, very true. Yeah, crazy, yes. wild, weird, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, 
Sorry, I'm still laughing about the weird. Well, I'm, and look, I'll, I'll let you cu- cool down from that. It's a pretty funny joke. Uh-huh. It is kind of funny how Weird Al, after that mandatory fun album, he's basically like stopped writing parody songs and he's been doing other projects like what you're talking about, the Weird Al uh, movie and all their stuff like that. Um, do you think there's a place for Weird Al when he doesn't isn't trying to like kind of chase the zeitgeist of music anymore? Do you think there's a place for him in the comedy landscape? He doesn't even have to come up with new stuff. Weird Al could just tour with all of his old stuff for another 30 years and people would go see it. Weird Al's kind of, you know, I, I would say maybe the generation below you don't really know who he is, or at least have the appreciation for him. But I think Weird Al, he's going to be around for a long time. I think Weird Al, if he came out with another parody album right now, it would do very well. Especially because he is sort of in the cultural zeitgeist again because of the movie and all that stuff. Like, I think Weird Al, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be around for a while. Well, I think that's the thing is he still has, like, such a reverence to where, like, he didn't get, like, his massive, huge, like, charting successes until, like, when I was in middle school. Like, with the fucking, uh, the white nerdy. I would say Amish Paradise and stuff like that is when he really hit. But but no, but that was like White Nerdy was the first like top ten charting song that he ever did. That, that's wild. That's that is weird, wild stuff. Because that was like I was probably a, at that point kind of out of my Weird Al phase already. Like I remember hearing White Nerdy and thinking, "Wow, he's actually kind of chopping it up." Way to go, Weird Al. But I didn't buy the album or anything. I couldn't even tell you another song that was on that album. To be honest, that's crazy. But that's the thing is like he still like was at least successful enough to where. Like, he could still tap into that zeitgeist at that point. I think he earned enough from doing that for, like, 40-something years to where, like, now he'll just pop up in some other random shit. Like, he's on, like, that Scooby-Doo, like, celebrity show that was out a few years ago. Or he'll, like, you know, people are still, like, reverent to him to wear, like, a Tenacious D for, like, I'll be the band leader for the comedy Bang Bang TV show for, like, a season. Or whatever. And, like, he'll, he just fits in perfectly. I think that's the thing. is He's very much, like, a chameleon in terms of, like, his ability to, like, adapt to other comedic sensibilities. Yeah, I agree. You know, he's just a good guy. At least we hope. But, you know, nowadays. But he just seems like a really good-hearted, genuinely, like, nice and, you know, respectful and humble sort of guy that has just made it on his on those laurels and it's like just you love to see that happen and people respect him for that i think that's why people still care about him so much and show so much like reverence towards him it's just he did it all the right way in a way like there's no big scandal there's no big lawsuits there's no big anything i mean weird al just made it on his own basically like when your biggest beef was like a bit of a disagreement with coolio oh yeah you know, do do five minutes of research. Coolio had a big beef with a lot of people, but they, even they squashed that. Right. Where it's like, well, I got permission from his management and things like that to do it. I didn't actually speak to him, and we're and Coolio was like, yeah, no, that's okay. But if that's like your, you know, your big scandal that actually happened, that's why it's so funny when you get to like the Weird Al like biopic parody that he did, and he had to invent outrageously wild like drugs and alcohol insanity stories right pure insanity like i read an interview with him he's like he's like i have a boring life he's like there was no big scandals or anything but this was my opportunity just making me sound more exciting than i was um but yeah so we'll i guess we'll wrap up here on uhf adam your final Uh thoughts on uhf uh you know there's still 
things in this movie that I will occasionally think of and just laugh about. Him as Rambo with the ah! and he's blowing up everything. And Conan the librarian, or even when he snaps out of the Rambo, of your worst nightmare. Like it's so stupid. And you know, Stanley's pulling that thing out of his nose. It just it's there's just so much to this movie that's kind of just burned itself in my brain that you know, call it nostalgia or what. I mean, there is definitely a nostalgic factor here to this movie. But even taking away that nostalgia factor, I still think this is a very fun, sweet little kind of underseen, underappreciated movie. That, you know, I, when my kid maybe is five years older, I'll show her again. And I, I, she's just a goofball like I was at that age. So I'm sure she'll like it. This is one of those that, you know, that it could stay alive easily with people who are fans showing their kids or nieces and nephews or younger cousins or whatever. Like it, it, it is that type of movie. Like you said, where, you know, it was one of those original, like you pass it around on VHS. Like, have you seen this? And you can still kind of do that with this movie. Like even if you own it on a streaming service or the DVD or whatever, it's still one of those, like for a younger generation who has no idea what it is, you could show it to them and, and they might fall in love with it too. I, I think that's sort of what's special about it. Yeah, I think the zany silliness kind of supersedes, like, some of the time capsule stuff. I think, like, when I first watched this movie, it was after I'd been, like, exposed to Weird Al, and I was obviously too young to get, like, what a UHF station all this other stuff is, but still was, like, consistently zany and weird that it made me more curious about some of these weird people that pop up. Like, we didn't talk about, like, Emo Phillips, who's, like, one of those bizarre comedians that I only know yeah. because of Weird Al, but he's so funny when he gets his thumb cut off, he's just like, oh, man, is my face red? <laughs> just gore is going all over Weird Al's face. Or something as weird as, like, they're only in, like, a shot of this movie, but the Kipper Kids who are, like, those two dudes with, like, the weird giant plastic chins that are just doing, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, what the fuck is that? That is one of the weirdest things. It's even weirder where, like, the history of those guys is, like, they're weird performance artists who are, like, in the Forbidden Zone movie, and one of them has been married to Bette Midler for the last, like, 35 years. Huh. Yeah. So... You ever know that you're my hero? Might have been written by well, 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 well. Well, 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 well. <laughs> It was about that particular about performance. Me. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, but that's just the thing. Is like this movie is like an interesting, like you mentioned, it is a very much a time capsule movie. That like at least interested me in like like who's this Billy Barty guy? Who like or so many of these other weird people that show up? But at the same time, it's like zany enough in its own way to make it like any of that dated stuff mostly for the most part kind of like fall to the wayside and just like really embrace the fact that it's just like this is a weird unique object that could never happen again like even if this was successful enough to make like weird i'll get a second movie i don't think whatever that second movie was would have been as like charming and off and odd as this one is yeah no i i totally agree with you uh you don't want more i mean peewee's peewee's adventure fucking classic Big Top? Oh, boy. The third one was okay. The one he did for Netflix. That was I, fun. Nah. <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, steer away from that and do our weekly segment, The Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double 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 Redo. 
So the Double Redo is a segment that uh, we like to do every week on the show, in which uh, Adam and I cover, uh, you know, in addition to the two movies we covered, we talk about uh, a good movie we'd recommend to you based on the topic, and then steer you away maybe from a bad one. Uh, And in this case with Redemption, we're going back into like ones we haven't covered on the show yet that uh, are either good or bad that, uh, you know, we want to bring up here. Um, and Though for my case, I would say my bad pick is one that it's more of like I would want to cover it on the show at some point, even as a I, bad pick. I'm exactly the same with mine. Right, yes. So um, I'll go for my good pick. Uh, I'm going for my alternate from our Jack Nicholson episode from a few years ago. Um, it is Mars Attacks, which, of course, is the bizarre Tim Burton uh, 90s era film uh, that is an alien invasion movie that is very um, satirically like uh, you know kind of cynical and 90s and snarky in its own way but uh, that I find incredibly funny still I think uh, like it has a massive cast that includes Nicholson but also you know uh, Jack Black pops up in there uh, Annette Benning, Danny DeVito even like young Natalie Portman so many people show up in that movie and what's like so fascinating to me about that movie is despite the fact that it's like this big elaborate production it still has this weird anarchic spirit that could only come from like a Tim Burton at that time where just the the how awful the aliens can be toward people just the horrible deaths that happen, all of the massive insanity that's going on there, at the same time has this, like, massive budget behind it and these big stars, which makes it all the more, like, this weird, once again, unique object of, like, the mid-90s in that case. But it's still, like, so funny, has so many bizarre twists and turns. It's, like, this tribute to, like, weird 50s sci-fi that also has some of the most upsetting imagery that I saw as a young man who, like, loved Tim Burton. It was like, oh, this movie's weird and upsetting, but kind of fun at the same time. And is I think, the underrated gem of Tim Burton's filmography I would love to cover on the show at some point. Um, and then my bad pick was my uh, alt for uh, our One Crazy Night episode we did uh, fairly recently. And uh, it's Spookies, which is a weird sort of um, horror comedy kind of movie that, uh, if you don't know, is like it follows the same basic structure of every haunted house movie where it's like a group of people go to a haunted house and the spooky things start happening. But the weird production history of this movie were like it was half of it was shot under a completely different premise and script and then they lost money and then they took basically what they had of that script and that they had shot and then shot a completely different wraparound segment explaining what the ghosts are and so it's two movies kind of scrunched together and it's insanity there are hundreds of different monsters in it that are all very cheap looking but adorable uh the grim reaper shows up at a certain point but also poop monsters but also there's a guy who's like watching all this and it's, it's straight out of like an ed wood movie where this is the stuff that's so reshot that's like some guy in a completely different location pining over his dead wife and looking in a crystal ball at like our people who are in a completely different like haunted house movie at the same time it's bizarre it's odd but it's one of those things where it's never not fascinating. It's such a weird movie where just one weird thing happens after another that like, I am would definitely love to cover on this show, especially since I don't know if you're as familiar with that one, Adam. I am absolutely not. Uh, I have not seen it. Uh, I've only know anything about it because of you talking about it. But no, I, I've never seen it. It's one that I, I remember after you first talked about it, I was like, oh, I got to see that. Then I kind of never went, you know. I just went ahead and lived my life. Um, but <laughs> uh, but as far as Mars Attacks goes, yeah, I completely agree. I, I love me some Mars Attacks. 
I mean, I even have little action figures of the alien, the spaceship of the alien. I, I, I fucking love Mars Attacks so much. It's, it's just such a weird, bizarre movie that only Tim Burton could make. I mean, in all honesty, like when people talk about quintessential Tim Burton, like, yeah, of course, you got your Edward Scissorhands, your Batman Returns, stuff like that. But Mars Attacks as well. Like, who the fuck else could pull that off? And, you know, some people would argue he didn't. I think it's fucking great. I love it to death. I think it's hilarious. And you know who agrees with us based on her recent Hot Ones episode, Jenna Ortega, yeah, Wednesday herself, buddy. loves her some Mars Attacks. Yeah, I'm all right with that. She's pretty cute. But now, Adam, what about your choices for the Double Redo? All right. So for my choices, and I didn't look up what episode I did them on just because, you know, that's how I roll, baby. Uh, but <laughs> my good choice, I'm sure it was probably the Michael Mann episode, uh, is Thief, uh, starring James Caan, R.I.P. But um, it's just, it's such a cool movie. Thief is just, and it's got a killer score, and it's, I'd say, maybe the best James Caan has been, like, or was. I mean, honestly, Godfather, Misery, stuff like that, great. But he's so good in Thief, and everybody's just dressed to the nines, cool cars, really, like, thrilling story. It's just, it's real early Michael Mann, and you can just see all the shit that would kind of still stay in his movies going forward. But I mean, obviously Michael Mann evolved so much and changed so much. Like if you watch thief and watch collateral, like, yeah, you can kind of tell the same guy did it, but they're so different too in style, especially because he went, you know, with the sort of digital handheld and all that, but still thief is amazing. Um, and then for my bad, and I'm doing air quotes, because I, I, I'm so conflicted about this one. I, I think I hate it, but I also think it might be a masterpiece. And I think that's kind of how you feel about most Lars von Trier films. Um, I have The House That Jack Built. It, it's a very strange movie. Is There are disturbing scenes, but in a weird way, the movie is kind of unnerving disturbing from the very beginning that even when like the shock value things happen it doesn't stand out the movie kind of keeps you in this weird like on the edge of your seat off kilter sort of headspace the whole time and i think that's sort of what's the masterpiece part about it um and uh, matt dillon is terrifying in it and i will say like the final 25 to 30 minutes is just gorgeous filmmaking visually sound design everything it's kind of incredible uh at least that part so if you can get to that part you're going to see some great shit but getting up to there might be a chore but it's it's one that i want to talk about eventually i don't know if we're ever going to do a Lars von Trier episode i'm probably okay if we don't i can stand that honestly i don't think <laughs> i want to do that no i don't yeah i don't think i want to do that it's just a fucking weird movie man like it's it's just really kind of unlike everything I've ever seen so I don't know like I said if I love it or if I hate it but I will tell you this I haven't forgot it so I guess that's uh, something but if you're into if you, for some reason Lars Ron is your guy Quarterman uh, and you want to see um, maybe this crazy movie and never seen I guess House that Jack built I guess I guess I can I'm recommending it and also saying if, if you're kind of don't like feeling uneasy for two, maybe three hours, depending on which version you watch. You could probably avoid it. 
Yeah, um, just for the record, uh, your House of the Jack built was actually your good alternate pick for the NC-17 episode, and then Thief was your alt for the Michael Mann episode, as you said. Right, like I said, I flip-flop on House of the Jack built constantly. Right. Like if One week, I'll be like, that movie was, was kind of a masterpiece. Then the very next week, I'll be like, what dog shit? Like, it's just, it's it's crazy. Yeah, um, I have not seen House That Jack Built. I think I said this when we originally brought this up. Um, like, that that's one where, much like any Lars von Trier, like, I've only seen of Lars von Trier's um, The Antichrist and Melancholia. And yeah. I really dug Melancholia, and I have very mixed feelings about Antichrist. But both, in either way, were just, like, ones where... They, they both left me with a sense of, like, maybe I'm not going to, like, go on to the Lars von Trier train. No, you don't so. want to watch Nymphomaniac 1 and 2? I mean, you know, I, I wanted to watch 2, but then, like, am I going to get lost with the chronology of 1? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, you might. It's like, <laughs> the the, it's the like dense mythology? Yeah, it's like you can't watch Shrek the third without seeing the second one. You know? Right, exactly. I, I yeah. can't get lost in the continuity yeah. of Lars Nymphomaniac Lars Trier is very, very much like the Shrek films. Yes, of course. They're like onions full of layers. Um, yep. But I think, like, the House that Jack built, at least, like, I have heard a lot of interesting recommendations, including Quarterman, Ryan Quarterman, friend of the show, did recommend that. But without any of your qualifications, just like, hey, Tom, this is great. You should watch it. I'm like, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people say this is pretty fucked up. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know that you'd have a good time, man. I got to be honest with you. Right. But um, by contrast, I do love Thief. Um, I, I think Thief is incredibly great. Like uh, Khan's amazing. Uh, my favorite person in there, though, is Robert Prosky as sort of oh, the villain so of the movie. Oh, he's so, he's so upsetting and intimidating in that movie. He's so fucking good in it. Um, and that movie's really great. I recently picked up the Criterion Blu-ray. Yes, of course. A very funny story attached to that. When I picked that up at like the Barnes and Noble during like one of the Criterion sales, there was a guy who was also going through the Criterions, and he came up and he was just like. Oh, Thief? It's a really great transfer. I, I love all Michael Mann's movies. You'll probably really like it. It's like, yeah, I've seen it. I love all Michael Mann's stuff. Like, oh, yeah, it's, it's a really great transfer. Great supplements. It's like, okay. Oh, okay. Well, all right. So Dude, that's thanks. that's the guy, then. That's the right. Yes, quite. That's the guy. I mean, he did have a monocle, and he was dressed up in a tux, so sure, I thought it was very weird did. that he went to Barnes & Noble dressed up like that. Had a copy but... of The New Yorker sticking out of his leather attache case. Right, yes. <laughs> and he had his manservant with him who was going to drive him back to the parlor. Yes, of course. Yes, yes, please, to the Belvedere. <laughs> his nose was always up, and he never uh-huh. technically looked at me. He never made eye contact, only with my Thief Blu-ray that I was picking up. Um, but yeah, I would love to cover that movie at some point. The movie's tremendous. And I would be, you know, I would be curious for House That Jack Built, if nothing else. I don't know if I want to do a Lars Runcher episode, but I'd be no. curious to cover... House that Jack built at some point. Maybe we'll do. Maybe we'll do like a serial killer episode for Halloween or something like that. Like one-off serial killers or something. Hey, who knows? Until then, let's go ahead and repeat our titles for everybody in case you missed them. Uh, my good pick uh, was Mars Attacks, and my bad pick was Spookies. My good pick was Thief, and my bad slash good slash I don't fucking know pick is the House that Jack built. Yes, and uh, we'll be doing our picking for next week's episode at the end of this one, so stay tuned for that. But first, we got to thank some people. Like, we got to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. 
Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for the artwork for our show. Uh, follow him at Night of Water. That's Night with a K underscore of underscore water for all sorts of great stuff on various different socials. And thanks, of course, to our patrons, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to vote in polls for individual movies and topics we cover, and also listen to bonus podcasts that we uh, put out at least one bonus podcast a month, including by the end of March, we'll be having our big annual March Madness about the best animated features of all time, which will be a lot of fun, I'm sure. And we'll be recording that soon. All, I'm sure, like, the last few went over three hours. This one might go up to four. We'll Get see. Ready. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> yes, yes, we'll, we'll be recording that by the end of the month and putting it out there for you all. But um, for uh, more of us in general, uh, just uh, follow us on places like Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at DEDBpod. You can also email us at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, find uh, more of me on uh, Twitter and letterboxes at NotTheWho'sTommy. And you also do some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at Film-Cred.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Atom or Adam, that's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Or you can also find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And I am actually on Twitter. Yet I got like eight followers because nobody knows I'm on there or, or whatever the fuck. But it's at Schwanson says. I think it's underscore. I don't fucking know anymore. But S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T underscore S-E-Z or no underscore. Doesn't matter. Find me. Don't. I don't care. But please find our recordings on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows on the network? And you can also dig into the archives and our Podbean main feed for like nearly 200 episodes before we joined up with TFS. And if you can't support us on the Patreon, that's cool, money can be tight. The totally free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around to give us more visibility. Yeah, for sure, guys. Look, I came back for this. Yeah, celebrate Adam's triumphant return. Share the episode around. Everyone, like, you know, the newspaper boy's like, extra, extra, Adam Tom is back on the show. It's not in the New Yorker, so I don't give a shit. Good point. Yeah. That fucking Criterion guy. You should have fought that guy. <laughs> like old Star Trek style. Unfortunately, I was off my pond far, so I couldn't do that. But bitch. <laughs> But now, Adam, it's time we do our picking for next week's episode. And in case you're new out there, every week Adam and I pick a good and a bad feature uh, that we cover on the next episode. So in this case, uh, Adam has the two good choices, I have the two bad choices. And usually we pick it in between 1 and 10, and that uh, you know is gets us to whatever closest is assigned for the other person's choices. So for example, uh, I could say, uh, for your good picks, Adam, I'm going to pick number 5. And you're like, okay, that's closest to number 4 which is where I have this particular choice, and thus that becomes our good pick for the episode and vice versa. Though, keep in mind a couple things. One, we are reinstating something that we had prior to Adam's exit. Uh, We are taking off the shelf his cannoli for the Godfather rule. Yes, the Godfather rule, which uh, allows basically Adam has a veto that he has in his back pocket he has to use before our anniversary episode, which is coming up in May. You got about two months, Adam, before that completely disappears so you got to use that as soon as you possibly can if you hear a particular choice where you're like i don't want to cover that you can say actually i'll take the cannoli unless that choice is gone we gotta go with whatever other choice is available but that is excluded 
from any kind of patron voted picks, which we should say my bad picks were chosen by our patrons over at patreon.com slash dedbpod. They voted in a poll for the bad picks for this upcoming episode, so uh, it's exempt from any sort of vetoing powers, but it should be a fun episode because we are doing, in honor of John Wick Chapter 4 is coming out, we are devoting an episode to Mr. Lawrence Fishburne, which I'm very excited about. I love Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne's the shit. Yep. Cool, dude. Our patrons, like I said, voted in a poll for the bad pick that I had, and it was between Biker Boys and the ultimate winner, which was Osmosis Jones, which I remember seeing as a child. I'm very curious to revisit that because it feels like that would age very poorly. Should have been Biker Boys. The people have spoken, though. This is democracy, and they voted against your choice. You didn't campaign hard enough for Biker Boys. Sons of bitches. Nobody did. Why should I? Good point. Fair point. But you have the two good picks, Adam. So for your two good picks, I'm going to pick number six. All right. At number eight, I have a movie by a prolific video game adaptation director who's not great. Uh, Not a great director, but I'd argue this is his best work. I have the sort of weird cult favorite like it doesn't get a lot of attention but i have event horizon all right yeah um i have seen event horizon i dig event horizon i'd be curious to talk about it for sure uh so adam what was your alternate choice and down at number two i had one of his earlier movies probably his first like major like star making movie i had deep cover you know i've heard deep cover is pretty great i have not seen Deep. pretty fucking great it's pretty fucking great I might catch up on that before we do the show. Who knows? But uh, we'll have to instead be covering Event Horizon and Osmosis Jones, a weird kind of sci-fi double feature. We'll be covering. Yes. Next time. But until then, everybody. Adam's back. I can't believe he came back. Uh, Probably not for long because you guys didn't pick Biker Boys.